The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Asia Centric from Bloomberg Intelligence, the podcast that pulls back the curtain on global business so you can invest better across the Pacific Rim. I'm Tom Corbett, editor for Bloomberg Intelligence in Hong Kong. And I'm John Lee, marketing analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. In this episode, we'll look at the tug of war between Hong Kong and Singapore to become the wealth capital of Asia. Hong Kong has typically been the hotspot for the rich with its proximity to mainland China. But now that picture is changing as pandemic woes, political conflict, and a bolder Beijing makes Singapore a rising star while Hong Kong gets the dimmer switch. What does this mean for Asia's two biggest wealth contenders and the investors they want to attract? I think the picture 10 years from now is that both cities will continue to do well. Let's bring in Sharni Wong, Senior Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. Sharni, welcome. Hi, Tom. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Sharni, Hong Kong or Singapore, which city is the wealth capital of Asia right now? At the moment, it's Hong Kong. When we look at household wealth, Hong Kong has about $3.5 trillion, whereas Singapore only has about $1.8 trillion, So it's close to double Singapore. Shani, isn't Singapore catching up to Hong Kong? There are lots of press reports talking about how rich Chinese mainlanders are piling money into Singapore. Yes. So when we look at the growth rate over the last couple of years, Singapore has definitely been catching up. It's growing at a much faster pace than Hong Kong. And also that's the same case for cross-border wealth as well. When we looked at the non-resident assets that are booked in Hong Kong and Singapore, that also is growing faster in Singapore versus Hong Kong. But when we take all that into account in terms of the growth rate, I think it could well take over 17 years before Singapore could even come close to Hong Kong, simply from the smaller starting point. So Hong Kong has a head start, but we have this image, Sharni, of Singapore with this new spring in its step while Hong Kong has hunched shoulders. Has Hong Kong permanently lost its edge as a wealth hub? Uh, I don't think so. Clearly, there are a lot of factors at play. The biggest one would be COVID and the virus curbs. And when we break it down, say, for the international investors, I guess it does make sense for some of them to be based out of Singapore, given the travel curbs here. But when we look at the mainland wealth, clearly Hong Kong has an edge. Right now, that edge, again, is affected by the virus curbs because just geographically, it's much closer for people to travel. It's just so convenient prior to COVID. But then now with the restrictions, so I guess it does make a lot of sense for Singapore to grow faster. But ultimately, at some stage, which we don't currently know when, but at some stage, the borders will reopen. And at that point, I think Hong Kong has a clear edge to win back that market share. Isn't Hong Kong impacted by rising geopolitical risks between the US and China? Isn't this benefiting neutral Singapore? Yeah, I think it depends on who you're talking about. Like, for example, 
There are those people that are concerned in Hong Kong and some of them have chosen to move overseas. And we've definitely seen that trend where there is migration, say, to Australia, the UK, etc. So there is clearly wealth that's moving out of the city. But at the same time, keep in mind that the mainland China, that has historically been a huge wealth tap for Hong Kong. And that is currently closed. It's quite hard for people to move their money offshore right now, not just physically, right? Like it's hard for them to physically leave because of the virus curbs, but also moving the money like with capital controls, it is quite tight. Our guest is Sharni Wong, senior analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Sharni, put on your investor's cap. Let's extend that thought just a bit. You're a wealthy investor. You live in mainland China. You've got between five and 10 million US dollars that you want to push offshore. Do you go to Singapore or do you go to Hong Kong? Yes. So that is a quite loaded question. But if you think about it, you really need to know who you're talking about. So are you talking about the ultra high net worth? Are you talking about the lower tier of the high net worth? Or are you talking about mass affluent? So if you're the ultra high net worth, say with over 30 million US dollars already, it's likely you already have assets globally. And then you've got the high net worth. So those with over $1 million. And historically, and I think this will continue to be the case is that Hong Kong has always been the starting point for them. But right now with mainland China, with the economic worries, when we look at the flows in terms of the Wealth Connect, for example, that's all come to a stop pretty much, like quite slow. The sales have been pretty poor. So when we look at the mass affluent segment, which are the people with over 100,000 US dollars, now I think that it's the key, really, because when you look at the whole population of China, there is this huge rise in the mass affluent segment driven by the rising wealth in Asia overall. So right now, again, that tap has pretty much been turned off, but there is clearly a huge demand because when I look at the onshore numbers out of the AMAC, which is China's Asset Management Association, the mutual fund numbers in terms of inflows That's continued to go up. And if you think about it, that's really amazing because the stock market's down, the property market is facing so many issues, but at the same time, mutual fund AUM rise, which means inflows more than compensate the drop in investment performance. So that's mainly led by money market funds, also bond funds. So that highlights the investor risk aversion right now. And that money is basically stuck in China. But Again, when they start to ease capital controls or when they start to ease COVID curbs and then these people can then travel to Hong Kong, it's likely that they will buy wealth management products here. So I think with that, Hong Kong has a clear edge over Singapore to target the mass affluent people in mainland China. A number of high-profile billionaires have set up family offices in Singapore, including India's Ambani family of Reliance Industries, Ray Dalio of Bridgewater Capital. Sergey Brin, co-founder of Google. Why have all these billionaires chosen Singapore? It's mainly tax incentives. So right now in Singapore, it's a lot more straightforward for a lot of the ultra high net worth to set up family offices and for them to be exempt from paying income tax. Having said that, Hong Kong, it is less straightforward, but the government is doing something about it. So in March, they already announced for public consultation this plan to um, change the scheme for family offices, which would mean that they don't have to pay profits tax. So I think with that change coming, it would be interesting to see because I think that the dynamics would change. 
And also the other change is Singapore is actually tightening their rules for family offices. In April, they minimum AUM requirements. And also you have to allocate 10% of your assets domestically and invest it in Singapore. So I think it's quite interesting, the contrast, because Hong Kong, it's loosening up in terms of granting those tax exemptions. But then Singapore, it's moving the other way. Singapore and Hong Kong are both vulnerable to external economic conditions. You've got trade conflict. You've got inflation, rising interest rates. How much of what we're seeing in this dynamic is due to COVID and the new political climate in Hong Kong? And how much is due to global economic weakness, do you think? I think both cities are clearly international financial hubs. So they are both very exposed to what goes on globally. The thing is right now, the global economic picture is already weakening, but Singapore continues to do well because they are gaining a lot of wealth inflows right now. Sharni, look into your analyst's crystal ball. What does the picture look like 10 years from now? I think the picture 10 years from now is that both cities will continue to do well. I think Singapore for the next few years has a better growth outlook. I definitely wouldn't write off Hong Kong. You know, Hong Kong ultimately has a backing of Beijing. It has a lot of financial infrastructure that Singapore doesn't yet have. So say with the Stock Connect, the Bond Connect, the Wealth Connect, there's that potential in the Greater Bay Area that has yet to be tapped. Shani, what's at stake for Hong Kong and Singapore companies? In terms of the companies that do benefit, I think DBS and OCBC benefits from from the perspective where they have a huge business in Singapore. Obviously, they're quite dominant there, but also they have a big presence in Hong Kong as well. For OCBC, Greater China accounts for slightly less than a quarter of their profit. No matter which city does better, Singapore or Hong Kong, they both will benefit. Sharni, if you take a look at events in China of late, you look at what's happened to tech over the past year. You look at the rhetoric around common prosperity. Do you think there's a perception among investors that China has abandoned the pursuit of wealth for something else? And how is that affecting their perceptions of Hong Kong and Singapore? Yes. So the crackdown on big tech, I think, has had an impact and the push for common prosperity. But the way that I interpret that is mainly they just want to close the wealth gap, right? And that wealth gap has worsened over the past decade. So now they're trying to pull things back. And it, for wealth managers, I think there are still opportunities. So the ultra high net worth, they may be impacted. Life could be harder for them. But with the mass affluent segment, that's, those are the people that they want to help in terms of being able to fund their own retirement, for example. So there are clearly a lot of opportunities for fund managers, wealth managers to continue to do business in mainland China. And when we look at the, what the global banks are doing, Credit Suisse, UBS, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, et cetera, they all have stakes there. And they're only just at the beginning of their growth. They've only just recently started to gain control of a lot of these fund management subsidiaries. So I think the road may be long and bumpy, but ultimately there is huge potential and none of these firms can afford to miss out on such a big market. Shani, is the property market a good indication of where the ultra-rich are putting their money? Yeah, I think um, asset allocation to property is one indicator. 
And when we look at the government rental index numbers for the landed properties in Singapore, that's up over 20%. So it is skyrocketing. In Hong Kong, it's actually down about 2%. So it's not too bad, but of course it's softened. But looking at that, I think a lot of the overseas expats right now, and also a lot of the ultra high net worth, they have chosen to move to Singapore, at least for now. And I think, again, the biggest consideration would be how easy is it for them to travel in and out of the city? Hong Kong, we are partly open, I would say, but still not fully. So I think that contrast is very interesting where Singapore has um, gone up very fast in terms of rent and also property prices. Patrick, he is expecting Singapore to continue to do pretty well. And in Hong Kong, there is still that uncertainty. We don't know when we will be fully open for business. So right now we are in a slump, but if and when it opens, it could again catch up. Shani, there's been a huge amount of wealth creation from cryptocurrencies and recently also some wealth destruction. But is Singapore more attractive for crypto investments? Over the past few years, I think it has been simply because Singapore has that regulatory certainty, especially for retail investors on crypto, whereas Hong Kong, they've pretty much stayed silent, right? But I think that is now changing. At FinTech Week, the Hong Kong government basically said that they want to explore how we can let retail investors access digital assets. So I think that is definitely a step in the right direction. And once companies that um, do crypto have that regulatory clarity in Hong Kong, I think it's likely that a lot of them will choose to be based uh, here. Our guest has been Sharni Wong, Senior Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. Sharni, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, John. And I'm John Lee. Thank you for listening to the Asia Centric Podcast. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor Data Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio.